morning again. Would you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1? And if you don't have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to grab one of the Bibles under the chairs in front of you. You can find Ephesians 1 on page 947. After um, a few months, the Bible might start opening by itself to Ephesians 1 because we're going to be in there for a while, uh, especially if Ephesians 2 is on the same page. But that's okay. We're taking our time. <clears throat> we are uh, in this sermon series on Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And last week, we finally moved on from the first chunk of 14 verses where Paul uh, lays out the heart of the gospel in all of its God-glorifying splendor in one epic sentence that spills out of his pen. And in verse 15, he turns the corner. He points backwards and says, ever since I heard about your faith vertically and your love for the saints horizontally, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. The Apostle Paul notices what's going on in the lives of his people, and he delights in them. He celebrates it, and he prays unceasingly and unselfishly and gratefully. We'll read this text again to find out what Paul prays for. That answer will take a few Sundays, but we'll begin this morning. Listen carefully. These are God's words. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord God, pour out that same spirit of wisdom and revelation on us that we might see you high and lifted up that we might know you more intimately. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Those are our two simple questions that we'll use this morning. Can you see and do you know? First, can you see? In verse 17, what Paul keeps asking for is that God would give this Ephesian church the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And in the next verse, which is a parallel thought, he adds this, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. I say it's parallel because it's not a separate thought. If we ask the question, well, how are the eyes of your heart enlightened? The answer is through the spirit of wisdom and revelation. He's asking for the same thing. Last Sunday, we sang a very familiar song, Open the Eyes of My Heart, Lord. I want to see you. The most glorious sight we could behold the reality in the world that we should most want to put our eyes upon is who God is, what His perfect will is, how He's worked out this salvation plan through the Son, our Savior, Jesus. It's all highlighted in the first part of verse 1. That's why we spent so many weeks laying that foundation. We might say our prayer would be, open my eyes that I might see and savor, verse 3, every spiritual blessing in Christ. 
which we've said involve the adopting love of the Father and the redeeming blood of the Son and the assuring, guaranteeing work of the Spirit that we will receive an inheritance. When Paul asks, God, enlighten the eyes of their hearts, the Greek word that he uses there is photizo, which simply means to shine light upon. It would have been used in, in normal everyday life, but in this spiritual context, it's, it's enlightening the eyes of our hearts. And um, the English translation, enlighten, is, is literal, and it, it fits perfectly, especially if we look back to Biology 101, and one of the first things we learn about the, the eye is that sight requires light. Some source of light external to the body needs to enter the eye, be received and processed by the retina and transmitted through the optic nerve to the brain. I know it's a, that's a crude summary, but um, you can't perceive anything with your physical sense unless there's light present. And it is no different when it comes to perceiving spiritual realities. But you need a different source of light. That's why Paul asks for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The Holy Spirit is spiritual light that enables you to see realities that merely physical eyes just can't see. Or the Spirit enables you to um, see things that you didn't notice because your eyes, the eyes of your heart, are too often so dazzled and distracted and overwhelmed by the material that the spiritual is missed. I, I want you to take a look at a video um, just for a minute and follow the instructions, um, and um, we'll talk about it in a minute. This is a test of selective attention. Count how many times the players wearing white pass the basketball. Stay quiet if you can. How many passes did you count? The correct answer is 15 passes. But did you see the gorilla? Here's the slow-mo. Here it comes. Yeah, there he is. In the original this video study... Is from research by in the original study on selective attention, of course, if you've seen that, you can't unsee the gorilla ever again in your life, and, and some of you have come across that in school or in some seminar, but in the original study on selective attention, half of the people did not see the gorilla. And if you just saw him or if you've seen him before and you can't unsee the gorilla, you, you wonder who, what kind of people can't see the gorilla. Well, the study was done at Harvard, and you can make some conclusions about students at Harvard and whether they pay attention or not, but it's been replicated in dozens of different contexts since to uh, support these findings. This is what the authors of the study shared as a summary. This experiment reveals two things, that we are missing a lot of what goes on around us and that we have no idea that we are missing so much. 
We have no idea that we're missing so much. If that's the case with our physical senses in such a shocking example, how much more so is it true with our spiritual senses as we try to perceive what the Bible calls the unseen? That's not because we're merely physical beings. No, God created us body and soul. He created us physical and spiritual. The reason we have no idea, quote, that we're missing so much is our sin. Personal, individual, deep sin. Later on in Ephesians chapter 4, Paul refers to unbelievers and he says, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. In 2 Corinthians, Paul says that the God of this age, speaking of Satan, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ. If you have no light, you have no sight. Back in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah uh, says this of the people, hear you deaf, look you blind, and see who is blind but my servant, and deaf like the messenger I send, who is blind like the one in covenant with me, blind like the servant of the Lord. You have seen many things, but you pay no attention. Your ears are open, but you do not listen. Unbelief, unfaithfulness, disobedience, rejection of God, all of these ideas are described in God's own words and through His servants, like the Apostle Paul, those realities are described as blindness, eyes of the heart that are closed, we might say. Paul starts this letter, Ephesians, by praising God who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And we've said a couple of times, um, as we covered that section, that lots of us look around and don't see the blessing and instead see pain and suffering and dysfunction and relational messiness. The problem is not that God is a liar and won't keep His promises to bring every spiritual blessing. The problem is not that God is weak and can't deliver on His promises. Nor is it true that these blessings are only in the future and not for now, and so we just have to wait around. No. The problem is that we lack the spiritual vision to see what God has done and what God is still doing, even in the midst of the trial, the suffering, the pain. Sin blinds and sin deceives. That's what it does. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead triumphs over sin and all of its consequences and the giving of the Holy Spirit to be at work in and through followers of Jesus. Those realities make possible seeing the heavenly, not only the earthly, seeing the spiritual, not only the material. Right after the resurrection, Jesus comes across some disciples who are walking along a road, and they don't recognize Him. Perhaps it's because in His resurrected, glorious body, He is looking much more heavenly than He had before the resurrection, and they are only seeing with merely spiritual eyes. He 
explains the Scriptures to them about how the Messiah had to suffer and die. He stops with them for the evening. He sits down at dinner with them. He breaks bread, and then this is what we read. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized Him, and He disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us? While he walked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. A few verses later, Jesus appears in the flesh to the 11 apostles who are gathered together in fear. He eats with them, and this is what verse 45 tells us Then he opened their minds, opened the eyes of my heart, Lord, so they could understand the scriptures. Here's what we find. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is given to the people of God so that we can see what is most glorious to behold, which is, who is Jesus, the Messiah, who is at the heart of all of the Scriptures. Here's what we're after. If you can't see with spiritual eyes, quote, you have no idea that you're missing so much from the selective attention study. If you can't see with spiritual eyes, you have no idea that you're missing so much. Let me put it differently. If you have never seen the glory of the Creator God Himself, then because you've been created in His image to be most fulfilled in relation to Him, because you've been created as a worshiper, your heart will naturally seek the glory of a substitute. You will believe, you'll be convinced that your greatest joy and greatest pleasure and deepest satisfaction will come from career or wealth or status or influence or uh, physical pleasures or relational intimacies. Those realities, whatever they may be, that you treat as, think of as ultimate that are not God, the Bible refers to those as idols. Now, in the West, in this day and age, we typically don't bow down to little wooden figurines sitting on our mantle. But the idols of our hearts, these things that we chase after and treat as, I must have that in order to be happy, the spiritual dynamics, the spiritual implications are no different from bowing down to little, little gods and goddesses on your shelf. L- listen to the psalmist in Psalm 135. The idols of the nations are silver and gold made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see. They have ears but cannot hear, nor is there breath in their mouths. Those who make them will be like them, and so will all who trust in them. The psalmist, the prophets, all throughout the Old Testament affirm the same thing over and over. The irony of making something out of wood with your own hands and then treating that as a god, the the, the irony is the human thinking that ignores the fact that this idol is blind and can't see, is powerless and can't do anything to help you, is mute and can't speak and reveal truths to you. And the more we treat idols of the heart 
No different, the spiritual dynamics. The more we treat idols of the heart as ultimate, the more we think that they are our true sources of happiness, the psalmist says, the more we become like them. What are they like? Blind, powerless, unable to speak of truth. Many of us learned as kids, if you're around my age, watching Saturday morning cartoons, that you are what you eat from your head down to your feet, ABC. If that's true physically, then it's all the true, all the more true spiritually. You become what you worship. And so you, if your idol is money and possessions, you will become a materialist. If your idol is pleasure, you will become a hedonist. If your idol is hard work and self-sufficiency and your own smarts, then you'll become a humanist and perhaps a narcissist at the center of all humanity. But if you value Jesus supremely above all others, you'll become a Christian. You will be called son or daughter of the king himself, you will become an heir standing in the position to inherit all of the richest promises of God. The English poet Elizabeth Barrett Browning wrote this with an allusion to Moses and the burning bush in Exodus. Earth is crammed with heaven and every bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes The rest sit around it and pluck blackberries. You need eyes from the Spirit to see spiritual realities. Earth is crammed with heaven. Do you see heaven around you? Every bush is a fire with God. Do you see the presence of the divine or just a blackberry bush with brambles to be careful because you love those berries? So it makes perfect sense that As the Apostle Paul is sitting in prison, perhaps on death row at the end of his life, writing to this beloved group of Christians where he had planted the first church, it makes perfect sense that his heart as a father to his children lays out this foundation, verses 1 through 14, every spiritual blessing in Christ, and then immediately transitions and says, this is my singular prayer focus passionate and unceasing that I ask for you, that God would open the eyes of your hearts, that God would provide the Spirit, His Holy Spirit of wisdom and revelation so you might see with spirit eyes these most glorious of all realities so that everything else in the world would appropriately fade away. But He wants more than merely seeing for these Ephesian believers. He wants them to experience, secondly, knowing. Can you see? Do you know? Here's how Paul's thought flows, verse 17. Here's the parallel. I keep asking that God, that's prayer, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that, for what purpose, you may know Him better. And then verse 18. I pray... The eyes of your heart may be enlightened, that's what the spirit of wisdom and revelation does, in order that, for what purpose? You may know hope, riches, power. We 
boil those two down, we summarize them together, and we simply say, what is Paul praying for? He's praying for the Holy Spirit to enable these believers to know God better. That's what he's praying for. His first thing, passionate and unceasing, asking this thing, this reality for the Ephesian believers. Let me ask you this. What do you know? What do you know? Here's what I know. Four things. I know that the White House is in Washington, D.C. I know that the New York Jets stink, to put it mildly. I know that spring is overdue, and I know that cedar loves me. Four things that I would say I know. The first knowing is fact. Well, the second is fact as well. We won't dwell on that. I am a long-suffering Jets fan. I know what I'm talking about. Um, The third one is maybe opinion, because a few of you might just say, I love the cold. I love, you know, snuggling in bed. I love wearing five layers. Um, I would disagree. The fourth one is just simply amazing, that it's true. But how well-grounded are these things that I know? If we take number one, we, we could hypothesize that 100 years from now, if World War III happens or if some kind of upheaval revolution happens in the U.S. of A., the White House might not exist, or it might be torn down and rebuilt in Topeka. We never know. That knowing will uh, be an old fact, a, an historical fact, not a current fact any longer. N- number two is probably less likely to change than the White House. Uh, number three, we know the warm weather's coming on Tuesday and Wednesday, um, and then our opinions don't matter because we're looking ahead. The fourth, quite frankly, because we're sinners, that might change, or I might doubt, and the knowing is not so certain anymore. All of these knowings could change. But what Paul prays that you and I in the Ephesian church would know is most unchangeable. It's bedrock. It's foundation of all foundations. You know, um, when I say, what do you know, some of you can accurately summarize the uh, ebbs and flows of stock prices for dozens of securities over the last few years. You can point to specific dates when a certain news broke and affected the market. You know price-to-earnings ratios, market cap, EBIT, all kinds of acronyms that most others don't really care about. You know these things. Others of you can give the stat lines for Judge, Didi, Stanton, and Sanchez as of this morning in that order of the batting lineup. You know exactly what they did last night in Anaheim. You know specs on all the options for the Tesla Model 3, which ones have come out yet and are available and which ones are not. You can describe the new Jimmy Choo lineup. You know the lyrics of songs that just released. How do you know these things? Because the eyes of your heart are oriented towards, are attentive to the market, to ESPN, to the news feed on your phone, to the latest trends and media releases. And Paul, with 2020 Holy Spirit eyesight, 
wants something so much richer and so much more glorious for you and I to know because it won't fade. It will always last. It won't lose its value. It can't be stolen. Moths will not eat it and rust will not destroy it. You know so many things, and I do as well. We know so many things that are useless, valueless. We know so many things we would never brag about or or be even mildly proud of when we stand before the throne at the last day. We know so many things, but do you know God so intimately that you instinctively turn to Him as a child turns to a father? which is right, which is what we've been designed, created to enjoy and be most fulfilled in. You and I can tell stories. We can turn back the clock. We can recount details of conversations between friends or at a dinner party, what the menu was, or how we laughed about this joke at Thanksgiving 23 years ago. We can detail the days of uh, the favorite vacation, whether that's the skiing um, or lying on the beach. But can you recount the story of salvation from Exodus in the Passover event, which defined salvation, redemption, deliverance for the people of God? Can you relive conversations between God and His prophets, between the apostle and these churches, between Jesus and His disciples? You can quote lines from uh, a couple dozen movies from 10, 20 years ago. Can you quote from the greatest love story ever told, from the greatest story ever related, the story of salvation, of this perfect loving Father who sends His Son to rescue his bride, the church? Do you run to God as instinctively in the morning as you run to CNBC to see the stock ticker or to the news feed to see the score or the magazine rack? Grace Redeemer Church, if you would say, I can't taste blessing, I don't see it, If you would say, my life at times or all the time feels aimless and frustrating. I don't know my purpose. If you would say, I ache for something more real to motivate me, to to fuel my passion, to, to get me up in the morning. Here's God's answer. The spirit of wisdom and revelation is what you need to open the eyes of your heart so that you may know God better, so that you could see that every bush is afire with God and the earth is crammed with heaven. Where do you start? These are just a few key words. We'll we'll unpack these ideas, not necessarily these words, in in, in the next couple of weeks. And they're not in any order. Because one feeds the other. But let me just close us with this catalyst, if, if, if it accomplishes that. Where do you start? You keep asking. When you ask heavenward, that's called prayer. Ask God 
whether you fully believe that he exists or not, whether you fully believe that he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus or not, ask him for the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Ask him to give you spiritual eyes to see who he really is, that you may know him better, that you may draw close to him. Secondly, read. You know so many things because you read the journal. You read the ESPN headline at, at a minimum, maybe an article if you're daring, uh, if you go that far. You, you read the gossip magazines. You read reviews on things you want to buy. That's how you know these things. How can you know God without reading when He's revealed Himself in the Word of God? It needs to be instinctive. If you would taste any blessing at all. And then most simply and importantly, believe. Verse 13 earlier said, when, uh, when you believed, you were marked in Christ with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. This spirit of wisdom and revelation, by the way, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, is not something that you need to ask for. It's not something that you need to wonder whether I, or not I will get. When you believed in Christ, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing your inheritance until the redemption that comes by Christ's glory. On the last day, you have the Holy Spirit. What is Paul praying then? He's praying that the Spirit in you may give you eyes to see, may turn those blinders off, may close the door on the things of this earth so that it would grow strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. He's praying that the Spirit would say, no, not there, there. That's ugly. That's nothing. That is passing away. That is worth giving your whole life to. That's what Paul's asking for. If you believe in Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit. Believe. And if you don't, this is not generic spirituality. This is not do your best to be an earnest truster in whatever you choose. No. Belief here, to have spiritual eyes to notice ultimate reality is belief in Jesus, who is God and man, who lived a perfect life of obedience and earned the approval of the Father, and yet who died a substitute death on behalf of sinners like you and like me. The Spirit points you to Jesus, that you may know God, which is the greatest knowledge, experience, joy. This isn't just head stuff. This is the experience that will fill us with awe and wonder and every ounce of joy one day when we know God face to face, when we see Him, when we experience Him, when we receive everything that He desires to give us of Himself. This is the gospel according to Ephesians. Let's pray. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord. We want to see you. We want to unsee the things that have too much of our attention. We want to unsee things that we dream about that are not of you. 
that we long for to make us happy, that we delude ourselves into thinking we must have, we will have, and when we don't, crush us. Open the eyes of our hearts to see true beauty in Jesus, true satisfaction in your promises, true intimacy in a relationship of faith with you. We pray in Jesus' name, who is your Son, our Savior, the glorious King. Amen.